Hello, Clear Skies Ahead listeners. This is Kelly Savoy, and I'm hoping you can take a moment of your time to rate and review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. We have produced over 60 episodes, and you can help us reach even more individuals that will benefit from the diverse experiences shared by our guests. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this new episode. Welcome to the American Meteorological Society's podcast series, Clear Skies Ahead, conversations about careers in meteorology and beyond. I'm Kelly Savoy, and I'm here with Emma Collins, and we'll be your hosts. We're excited to give you the opportunity to step into the shoes of an expert working in weather, water, and climate sciences. We're happy to introduce today's guest, Jason Samenow, weather editor and chief meteorologist at the Washington Post in Washington, D.C., Welcome, Jason. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Jason, could you tell us a little bit about what sparked your interest in meteorology and how it influenced your educational path? Of course. Yeah. So for me, it began at a young age, like it uh, has for many people in our field. But uh, when I was about uh, 10 years old, we had back-to-back blockbuster snowstorms in the D.C. area in 1987, shut down schools for seven straight days. And I think the impact that that snowstorm had on our community really um, fascinated me uh, with, with snowstorms. And um, and then we had another big snowstorm later that winter, and I was hooked. And so my interest in weather began with those snowstorms. And then it evolved into all things weather, hurricanes, severe thunderstorms. And I just you know, obsessively watched the Weather Channel from a young age. And of course, my local weather casters in the DC market. And uh, my interest also expanded into climate change and the environmental influences of weather as time went on. And so did you realize when you were in high school that, okay, there I, I can do this for a living and you said, I want to go to college and major in this? Yeah. I mean, I knew by, you know, fifth, sixth grade that, um, I wanted a career in meteorology. There was no doubt about that. So, um, and that just strengthened in intermediate school and high school. And then when I got to college, I, of course, I looked for college programs that um, had meteorology and atmospheric science. And, uh, it, it, you know, the rest is history. And once you got on that path, uh, what opportunities did you pursue inside and outside of school that you knew would be beneficial to securing a job in your position? Yeah. So when I was at the University of Virginia, um, you know, I did an atmospheric science concentration. They have an environmental science program there. They're not, you know, nationally known as a meteorology department, but they have a very multidisciplinary program in environmental sciences in which you can concentrate in either atmospheric science, geology, ecology, or hydrology. So um, I felt that that program would give me a good foundation to specialize in um, graduate school, potentially. I kind of knew from the beginning I wanted to go for an advanced degree. So the University of Virginia, from that standpoint, um, you know, with that multidisciplinary program, I thought would uh, serve as a good foundation for for future study. And so when I was at the University of Virginia, um, I, um, of course, um, you know, took advantage of all the classes that I could there in atmospheric sciences. And then during the summer, I did a couple internships. In fact, actually, I had my first um Internship while I was still in high school. For my senior project in high school, I interned for, um, at the time, the chief meteorologist in, at the NBC affiliate um, 
in Washington, D.C., Bob Ryan, who was also a past president of the uh, AMS. And I also, um, I actually did two internships at the same time. I also worked at the National Weather Service Techniques Development Laboratory. Um, that was, again, at the end of my senior year of high school. And then, again, getting back to college during the summers, I did a couple of internships at a company uh, called Miter Tech at the time. They, they've now changed their name. They're called Noblis. But um, I was doing satellite meteorology-related work for them. And, um, you know, just as an opportunity to um, get some professional experience uh, before heading off to graduate school. Wow, Bob Ryan, as a high school student, you must have been so psyched. Oh my gosh, yeah, that was an incredible opportunity. You know, sometimes having connections help. He was a classmate of mine in high school. So yeah, so I, yeah, his son Jason and I uh, took Latin together. And so uh, I made that connection and, you know, got an opportunity to stu- to tour Channel 4 when I was just a freshman in high school. And I kind of, um, then um, when it was time for that senior project, uh, Bob Ryan was number one one on my list. So, um, so, and he's been, and he's been a career mentor for me ever since. And we're now friends and get lunch occasionally. Um, one of the best in the field for sure. And so it sounds like you did, um, you know, some internships in different types of areas of meteorology, which is really smart and you could figure out what you liked and didn't like. So what was your first job in the field and how did you end up where you are today at the Washington Post? Yeah, you're. That's an astute point that I, you know, did internships and work in a lot of different areas because I wasn't sure when I was in college and even in graduate school what direction I wanted to go in. And even when I uh, conducted my job search, it was kind of all over the map. Um, I really had two core interests, which were uh, weather forecasting and climate change and climate change science. And um, it, as an undergraduate and a graduate, I took courses in both. And um, when I was applying for jobs after finishing my master's degree, I um, I applied for some jobs in TV weather, um, for some government labs. Uh, for, uh, I just cast a wide net. And um, it happened that EPA was uh, going through a reorganization at the time, and they um, had a lot of jobs that were opening up in the climate change area. And so I... Um, I ended up um, taking my first job at the EPA as a climate change science analyst uh, fresh out of graduate school. And um, <clears throat> that was a tremendous experience. I, I loved working there. I was there for 10 years. And um, yeah, so that's that's where I got my start was working in uh, climate change, science, um, communication, and analysis uh, when I was at the EPA. And so, you know, it it's a that's a big shift to like writing and and going to the Washington Post. When did you say, "Oh, I really like writing and I want to go in this direction." What led you to that? Yeah, no, it's an interesting story. So, um because I pursued a job in climate change work, um I wanted to remain active in weather forecasting because that was sort of my first love, you know, and, you know, like my love of snowstorms dating back to when I was 10 years old, which got me into weather. I didn't want to leave weather behind, even though I was working on climate change. Um, so while I was at the EPA as a side hustle or as a side side gig or whatever you want to call it, um, I started a website for DC weather called capitalweather.com, which um, I launched in which I launched in 2003. Um, and um, initially, it was just sort of a, a website for um, friends and family where I'd write forecast discussions and 
you know, post about weather happenings. And then in 2004, this was around the time blogs were becoming really popular. I realized that the blog format could be really um, a strong format for communicating weather because it made communicating weather a two-way conversation where um, you were providing information to your users and your users were feeding back by sending in comments and and so forth. So um, I decided to convert CapitalWeather.com into a blog-style site. And so with a team of contributors, I had several friends um, who were... Um, you know, fellow meteorologists or weather enthusiasts who helped me um, staff basically what became what I think was the first blog style local weather site on the internet, which was, you know, capitalweather.com. When we turned it into a blog in 2004, we launched it that winter. So that was um, really sort of a hyper-local DC weather blog that we would uh, post forecast and forecast updates, you know, at least once or twice a day, every day, more when the weather was active. And that was sort of the springboard um, to my Washington Post career because what happened was CapitalWeather.com, over time, we... um, just through grassroots promotion by getting other sites to link to us, um, we started to get noticed. And um, we were profiled by the Washington Post, I think, in 2005, Washingtonian Magazine, uh, named as DC's best blog a couple of different years. And so um, we started to earn a reputation as being sort of a fun, useful, entertaining, and um, interactive educational website for DC weather. And in 2017, the Washington Post reached out to me and asked me if we would want to basically become the Washington Post's local weather team and blog for them the same way we were doing, um, you know, as an independent website. And of course, we were eager for more exposure, and they, and they and they and they offered us money. So um, we we you know, and in fairness, we had some ads, and we were making a little bit of money on the website um, before the post took us over. But um, it was basically you know like beer money. You know, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't anything. You know, it was basically covered costs and a little bit more. So. Um, but when the post, so yeah, we struck a deal with the post and we, we began, um, working with them in 2008. I still had my EPA job at the time. So it was, um, between 20, 2008 and 2010, uh, when I was working both at EPA and at the post at the same time, that was a lot. Um, because, um, the post gig, I did mainly nights and weekends. And then, you know, I still had my EPA job during the day. And the EPA job was just getting busier and busier because um, the branch I was working in was involved in a lot of important initi- initiatives on on climate change. And at the same time, you know, the, the uh, gig at the Washington Post was uh, also uh, ramping up in terms of um, our, our audience was growing and we just there's just greater demand for the um, information we were providing. So, um, and, and, and then at the very end of our first contract with the Post, which was um, the winter of 2009-2010, we had the snowmageddon winter, which was ma- which was ma- which was massive. We had um, you know 56 inches of snow in DC, and that really put Capital Weather Gang on the map and increase the amount of traffic we were getting by, you know, at least an order of magnitude. And it represented our, it really represented our value to the Washington Post. And so um, it just happened that our contract with the Post was ending after that winter. 
And so um, we had seen just major spikes in traffic that winter because of our coverage. And the Post obviously didn't want to let it go away after they saw how important local weather coverage was to their audience and the type of um, and the amount of traffic that sort of coverage could generate. So they um, decided to, um, at the, again, after that snow began in winter, um, when the contract expired, um, I told the Post, I was like, look, you know, this is great. You know, we love what we're doing, but it's unsustainable for me to continue to do both. Kind of run the uh, Capital Weather Gang for the Post and do my EPA job. So um, the Post said, well, what if we made you a full-time offer to come work for us? And so I decided to, at that point, uh, leave my government job, which was going really well, by the way. And we were doing we were doing a lot of very cool work, and it was very high-profile work at the time. Um, and uh, I jumped ship to work for what was at the time a struggling media organization. So basically, I um, took the leap to leave a stable government job for a struggling media organization, but it's basically to pursue my passion and to do something full-time, which I had started off as a side project and really try to help make it grow into something even more. And so that's what motivated that switch. So it was a re- it's kind of a cool story because it's a case of, you know, somebody doing something on the side as sort of a side venture and turning it into their full-time job. And so that's that's how this whole thing evolved. Yeah, and that's that's what everybody's dream is, right? Yeah. Their hobby becomes their career that they get paid for. So Yeah, no, it's it it was a tremendous opportunity, and you know, again, it was a little bit of a risk because I think at the time the post was, um, you know, they were going through some tough financial times. Uh, the The print subscriptions were, you know, and and, and this continues to be the case, but the 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 print audience was declining. Um, They really hadn't figured out digital yet. Um, Obviously, you know, weather has been a big part of. how the post has um, found success on digital because you know weather is just a very popular uh, news information source for people on their mobile phones and on their um, and on all their various devices. So, um, in any event, it was a, it was a leap of faith, but it's turned out well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I follow the post on TikTok at this point. Um, so, and you made that leap of faith, and you're well established now. Could you walk us through a typical day on the job as a weather editor? Sure. So, um, my job, you know, it doesn't turn off, but, um, but typically, um, when I get up in the morning, I sort of survey the news and see, um, what are the key weather stories of the day? That's sort of my number one task is to try to figure out, okay, what is it we need to cover today? Um, what are the major weather stories that are, uh, resonating across the, um, the information world. And so I look at what our competitors are covering. I look at what our competitors are not covering, which maybe they should be covering. And um, I look at social media. What are people talking about? Um, yeah, I look at, I look at um, you know, obviously Twitter, Facebook, other platforms, Instagram, and just try to get a sense as to um, what weather and climate stories people are paying attention to or are potentially good weather stories that we should be covering. And um, then it's a matter of assigning the stories to um, our team of writers. Um, my, my job has evolved over the time. You know, when, when I joined the Post, I used to basically just write and 
assign myself stories um, or assign and write my own stories. And um, <clears throat> but now now we have a team, and so um, I've got um, you know several full time writers. I've got freelancers, contractors, and so um, so it's a matter of assigning the stories to them. And then once the stories come in, I edit them. And after I edit them, they go up and I try to promote them on social media and um, to, to make sure that they're read, to try to propagate them across um, the internet as well as I, as well as I can on various social media platforms. And then it's sort of after that's done, it's looking ahead to, okay, what will ne- the next day's weather stories be? And I'm um, starting to plan for the next day and talk to my team about, okay, what stories should we be thinking about for tomorrow and making some assignments. It, it, it depends. You know, sometimes in the afternoon, you know what the next day's weather stories will be. And so you can assign them ahead of time. Other days, you have to wait until the morning and then you assign the stories then because it's not, sometimes it's not clear what what weather story on any given day is going to emerge and be, um, you know, what what people are going, are, are going to care about and uh, paying most attention to. So that's it. I mean, and I, I guess, you know, there, and there, there are a lot of other little things that um, I do during the day, um, including, you know, obviously looking at weather models to see what's uh, coming, what's in the pipeline, um, responding to responding to emails, project planning, thinking about okay, what sort of interesting outside the box ideas could we pursue? Are there any profiles we want we we want to do about you know any in- interesting people and in the work they're doing, or are there any you know research initiatives we want to be following or writing about? So you're always yeah, I'm I'm always on the prowl for stories and always thinking about um, you know projects and. Um, different tasks we could take on to, um, you know, to, to, to reach broad audiences and communicate weather as effectively as we can. Sounds really interesting. So you said, you know, your day never really stops, but do you have like, you know, set hours or, or how does it work? Yeah, no, it's, it's good. I mean, so um, yeah, we, you know, I work a pretty regular work day in that, you know, I start, I, I usually start between eight thirty and nine and stop between five and five thirty. Those are my core hours. It's pretty, it's pretty regular. But that said, if you're in the news business, you kind of have to keep your hands on the pulse of what's happening all the time. So even when you're not on the job, you're you're checking Twitter, you're right. you're kind of keeping an eye out on what's happening. It, you know, obviously if there's storms going on, you're watching radar. Um, and um, and that's the other thing too about weather stories is that it's typically it's not like once you publish them, you're they're done. Oftentimes, you have to update them multiple times, and so um, and of course, during you know major high impact weather events, you might be doing what we call live updates, where you're um, you're you're doing you know updates all day on the same weather story um, in, in in sort of a stream format. So um, yeah, it, it kind of depends on the day, but you're you're as as a weather editor. Um, yeah, I think, you know, if you talk to my counterparts at, you know, other news organizations, they're going to say they always have to kind of be paying attention. Um, now, you know, I have help. I mean, you know, and we have, uh, I mean, the Washington Post, we have an overnight desk, which is uh, watching the weather. We have um, 
we have a general assignment desk. So it's not all, it's not all on my team. Um, so we do have backup and support and they help out a lot on weekends as well. So, um, you do get breaks, but, um, you just like to, to do a job like I have, you have to be committed to it because it, it's not something you can kind of just, um, you can't be passive. Yeah. You can't just say, Oh no, I'm not working right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. No. No. I mean, especially when there's a major weather event. I mean, you, yeah, I mean, of course, like, you know, when things are quiet, that's a good opportunity for you to catch up on other things and um, take time off if you need it and, and so forth. But yeah, it's, it can be, it can be demanding. I did want to ask when you're always on like that, how do you handle your work life balance with your like mental load, you know? Yeah, no, it's a challenge. I think, you know, I think people in, in broadcast deal with this as well. Um, because I know they're being asked to do more. They have to be on so many different platforms now, as do we, but it's not just for TV folks. It's not just being about t- on TV, but they've got to be on social media. They've got to update their websites and, um, they've got to do radio and, and actually we do radio as well at the post. So, um, yeah, so there are a lot of different platforms and the name of the game is to try to be on all of them to, reach as many people as possible in as many different formats as possible. So text, audio, video, all of the above. So yeah, burnout can be an issue. Um, it's something that I, I think anybody who's been in this field long enough um, in the media industry has dealt with and confronted. And um, I think you just need to have supportive management. I'm fortunate that I do, um, but it's been a challenge at times. I'm not quite lie. Um, you know, it's, um, it's something that you you just have to, you have to have a real appetite for this you have to really love it. And, um, it's not to say you can't have both. It's not to say that you can't pursue a busy media job and have a work-life balance, but, um, you also have to accept that, you know, if there's a major hurricane happening on the weekend, you're going to have to work. Um, and hopefully then you can take some time off when it gets quieter. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's definitely, I think it's across the media business overall, burnout's an issue. And I think managers and um, they're, they're, they're doing their best to confront it. I think it's just something we face. There's a lot of competitive pressure. Um, and there's just, you know, that's just the nature of news. It's always, it's always happening. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's real. I don't want to, I don't want to lie, but I think there are ways of effectively, um, Working through it and having having strong management um, is important. And I think you know if if you're pursuing a career in media, you want to you do want to look carefully at who your management is and and um, you know, evaluate whether they're going to be supportive and whether they do value work life balance. Because if you have any questions about that or reservations, um, then that can be a red flag. And it sounds like you do a lot of different things in your position. What do you like the most about your job? Um, I know that's a hard question. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard question. I think um, I think seeing our work reach a lot of people is the most satisfying element of our job of my job. You know, so like if we produce something really good and we see it effectively reaching a large audience and people saying, you know what, this is really good work you're doing. That's the most satisfying thing, especially if that information is helping them in terms of staying safe or being more prepared for a uh, potentially dangerous weather situation. I think that's, you know, why we do what we do is to try to help people. 
And if you're doing it in a way in that it's resonating and people are sharing what you're doing and are valuing what you're doing, that's what's most rewarding. So, uh, you know, so like just just doing good work, which reaches a lot of people and is helping people, I would say that's, to me, like the most rewarding aspect of the job and the thing I like the best. And that's what you're proud of, too, because, you know, yeah. your your work is getting realized and people are using it and finding it useful. Absolutely. Yeah. So you kind of touch on this with with uh, burnout and those challenges of always being on, but um, what are some of the other bigger challenges that you've faced during your career? I think that um, you know th- there have been different challenges at different times. Um, you know, so I guess early in my career when I was sort of a one man band, it was you know I think it was just trying to resist the urge to do everything. You know. I, and I, I struggled with that a little bit. I, you know, I think I was, you know, I would sometimes like write four or five stories a day just myself. And I think if I had stayed on that path, I wouldn't been able to sustain um, in in this career path because it was just too much. And so I put a lot of pressure on myself early on. And I think, you know, I maybe didn't need to do that. You know, I think sometimes, you know, you're trying to build something and you want it to be successful, so you maybe overdo it a little bit. So I would caution, you know, people, even if they're ambitious and hardworking and, you know, really driven to make sure to, you know, catch their breath and sort of step back sometimes and ask themselves, you know, like, do I really have to do this? Like, you know, like five years from now, am I going to look back and say, oh, shoot, like, if I hadn't done this one story would have made that big a difference. You know, I think sometimes in the moment you think you have to do everything. And I think that's something I struggled with early in my career. Um, and then, you know, I think like just as a manager, you know, like I, I evolved from being a one person um, shop to um, having a team. And I think, you know, like as a, um, you know, learning how to manage people effectively has been sort of an area of growth for me. Um and, you know, depending on the organization you're at, you may or may not get a lot of training and help in that. And you, in some cases, you have to learn by doing. So I think, um, you know, that's um, that's a challenge that, you know, I had to um, sort of um, just sort of uh, grow into, I would say. I would say, you know, like I'm a much better manager now than I was maybe five or six years ago. Um, I think I've always been, you know, like an empathetic and, you know, nice person, but like in terms of being effective um, and as effective as I can be, I think, you know, um, I've grown and I think, you know, obviously, you know, any manager always has, you know, additional room for growth. So um, those are a couple of areas and challenges that um, I've um, I've dealt with over time. And I think, you know, I, as you alluded to before, the, the burnout question, and that's, and just making sure that I make time for myself and uh, my family. I've got Two young children. Well, they're not so young anymore. They grow up fast, but they're 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 twelve. They're tw- they're twelve and almost eight. Um, you know, you you want to make sure you um, you make time for that because you don't get that time back. Um, so um, that's that's important. I think you know, for people who are maybe not for early career, but in mid career, you've got to make sure you make time for your family. Um, again, in the media space, that's important. Um, and I'm sure there are other areas of um, meteorology you know, where uh, burnout can be an issue too. I don't, I'm not pretending it's only in, it's only in media. I think, you know, obviously people who are um, in other areas can de- have to deal with that too, depending on, um, depending on what they're doing. And speaking of doing more, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're one of the board members for Amos's new certified digital meteorologist program. Can you talk briefly about that program and what encouraged you to join the board? 
Yeah, sure. So the uh, Certified Digital Meteorologist Program um, was, um, I think it was uh, championed by Erica Grow. I think she, it was basically, you know, she she came up with the idea of um, the, the AMS building the certification program. And it actually started up, um, there's, a, there's a comparable effort in the uh, National Weather Association, the NWA, uh, which is a uh, the, the, their, their digital seal of approval, which actually I have. Um, but the idea behind the, um, the AMS CDM is just to, um, have a way of distinguishing people in the digital space who are trusted sources, um, who, um, have strong meteorology background, who communicate effectively, who communicate, um, responsibly as well. And, um, who you know clearly have experience and have earned the trust of their audience, and so um, so this is a new effort which just launched in uh, you know September, and um, the uh, the people who get this certification have to pass an exam and also have their work reviewed by their peers, and assuming they pass the test and their um, reviews their peer review is satisfactory, they get the AMS. Certified Digital Meteorology Certification. So, um, yeah. So we, um, I'm on this. I'm on the committee, um, which is um, evaluating candidates. And I encourage anybody in the in, who's in this digital space to apply. Um, we want to have. We want to grow a community of folks who are um, who are these trusted sources for their audience, so that the seal stands for something, and so that when people are um, can can post the seal or, or the certification on their websites and their bios so that people know and audiences know that when they're getting information from these people that um, these people know what they're talking about they're um, going to responsibly communicate meteorology they're not going to hype information they're not going to try to clickbait people um, but they're going to provide to people you know trusted authoritative um, information. Um, and so, um, that's the goal. And, uh, I, I, I have, I have to give props to, uh, Erica for, um, working this through AMS and getting the whole program approved. And, um, I'm excited that we already have, um, I think at least one applicant into the program and I'm um, hoping that there will be many more. We have more than just one. I'm looking at the dashboard right now and we have about 45 applications that we're getting ready to go through. Whoa! Yep. For- 45. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Okay, excellent. Well, I, I think like I, I've just received one to review so far. So, um, but I guess um, before they go out for review, they have to, um, you know, pass the test. Do they have to pass the test before yes. they go out for review? Okay, got it. If they're not certified broadcast meteorologists already. Got it. And a lot of a lot of those people are in the process. So some of them may not have submitted yet, but they're in the process of probably gathering their transcripts and all that good stuff. But you know, hey, we need this more now than ever because there's there's way too many people who have access to social media who don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> well, I think I think you're exactly right and you know, you you raise a you raise a good point because um especially if you look across TikTok and some of these emerging platforms, you know, Facebook, Instagram Reels, um some of the people who are doing weather briefings um it's just, um, it's, it can be a yeah. problem. I mean, there's some really, there, there's some people who just, 
it's kind of like crying wolf. They they show the most extreme scenarios. They 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 post misleading thumbnails and weather graphics, and they clearly don't have the credentials to be talking about people. And I mean, sorry, to be they don't have the credentials to be talking about some of these things. And the problem is that it can erode trust in meteorology more broadly if um, people who um, if audiences are exposed to this information and they're misled, then it it um, it sort of it, it damages the reputation of the meteorology field more broadly. So um, I think it's really important that uh, the, the the CDM initiative hopefully gets some legs and we get sort of a a large group of people out there who are known as trusted sources, and then you know some of these um, people who don't have the credentials. Um, you know, it's not to discourage people who want to communicate about weather from doing it, but people have to understand, and there needs to be a way for people to know, like, um, ho- hopefully pretty quickly, um, you know, whether it's somebody they can trust and has a sort of a solid uh, foundation or whether it's not. So on top of being a fantastic weather editor, you're also on our board, Keeping Busy, um, and you have a very dynamic career now, but is there anything you wished you would have done differently? Oh, wow. Um, no, I mean, I, you know, like, I think I, I don't have any regrets. I, you know, I think um, I had a great um, decade at the EPA and, you know, my, my, I had terrific colleagues there. I got to work on really interesting assignments. Um, you know, part of me wonders if, you know, my life would have been a lot simpler. I'd have had a lot more free time if I just stayed with a government job and not moved into the media and I think that's a choice I made. Do I regret it? No, because, you know, I've been able to, you know, um, have a pretty exciting career, work on something I'm really passionate about. You know, as I said before, you know, could I have made some different choices about, you know, sometimes backing off at times and not trying to do everything? I think that was, you know, a mistake I made. And sometimes, you know, when you try to do everything and you put a lot of stress on yourself, it can even impair your decision making a little bit. And you, you try to do too much and then, you know, the quality of everything you do gets watered down a little bit. So what I, what I've learned is, you know, try to do a little bit less, but do that better. So um, not try to do so much and have it be, me- some of it be mediocre, but do less and have all of it be be strong. I think that's a lesson. Quality is better than quantity. Yeah. I really like that. Yes, exactly. That's a, a shorthand way of saying what I just said in exactly. a lot more words. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's a lesson. That's a lesson I've learned. And you know, so um, and I think you know, I've gotten to the point in my career now where um, you know, I can step back and say no to things more. I think I was trying to prove myself early on, so I was just trying to do everything. And you know, like I was trying to cover local, national, international weather as one person. Um, and yeah, that's, that's a lot to do. Now I've got a whole team and I can delegate and I can ask people to do stuff. I mean, we still move a lot of stories every day. We do between two and four, um, national and international weather stories a day. And then we also do, uh, a couple DC weather updates each day. So we, we, and we do radio and we do social media. So there's a lot. I mean, I think as, you know, through the course of this conversation, you've got enough flavor of all the various things we do. There's, there's a lot to it. Um, there are a lot of moving parts and uh, that's fun. I mean, that's one of the things I really like about the job. And, you know, again, why I don't have regrets is just because I get to do so many different things. And, 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 and the really cool thing about the job I have now too, is that um, it sort of marries together my two interests, you know, weather forecasting and climate change, because our group is um, 
the weather desk that I run is in the Washington Post um, climate t- department, which was just um, established about a year ago. We were previously in the uh, metro department because we were initially brought in as a local weather team. So we were in the in the uh, Post local uh, news or metro department, but we were we were moved about a year a little about a year and a half ago into the Post climate department, which is a huge um, not, not huge, but it's a it's a large department for a, a, I think it's probably one of the biggest. Um, uh, climate teams of any um, news organization in the world. We've got, I think, over thirty climate journalists in our in uh, on our team, and so um, so yeah. So I'm getting to work on both climate change and weather forecasting simultaneously. So it's kind of like you know, I started off when I was ten years old, really interested in weather forecasting. I sort of in college and graduate school skewed a little bit more towards climate, but wanted wanting to stay active in weather when I was at EPA. And through the post gig, I'm able to kind of do both. You know, I kind of, uh, I can communicate about both weather and climate change, um, you know, and for one of the, you know, uh, world's, um, you know, largest and, you know, I think most respected news organizations, which is pretty awesome. And it's a, it's a, it's a big responsibility, you know, and I don't, I don't take that lightly. And to, so to have this opportunity again, about not, having no regrets. I mean, you know, look at what I'm able to do. Right. Uh, absolutely. You know, right. Yeah. I mean, few people are able to sort of take sort of their top two interests and, you know, make it their job, you know, in a, in a high profile way. So, you know, um, have I had to make sacrifices? Yeah. But um, again, you know, like I think um, now I've gotten to the point where um, I'm more in a management role and, um, you know, able to, you um, think a little bit more than and, and coach a little bit more rather than having to do it all myself, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and I mean, you probably said to yourself at the time, what's the, what's the worst that could happen? It doesn't work out. You have plenty of experience working for the government. You get another job for the government, you know? Yeah. I mean, that was, that was the thought process. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like, I, you know, it's funny when I took the job at the post in, in 2010, I never thought about failure. I never thought, oh gosh, this isn't going to work. I because I kind of, I mean, we had the three-year contract, and that was sort of the proof of concept. You know, after the snowmageddon winter, in which you know, like our our traffic metrics went wild. I was like, I I think you know we we demonstrated proof of concept right there that you know weather was a big sell for local audiences. And, um, you know, and, 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 you know, some things have changed since then and that, you know, the post has evolved from being more of a hometown newspaper into being this sort of um, international news organization. And so we've expanded, you know, like initially I was really focused on the D.C. area, but now it's like I would say I spend maybe 10 to 15 percent of my time on D.C. weather and probably 80 percent of my time or more on national, international weather and climate news. So um, so that's been a change as well. You know, sort of the shift from from local more to national and international. We still do local, but um, the posts um, focus has definitely shifted because we want to scale. That was a change when Jeff Bezos took the post over. He really wanted the post to sort of make its content reach a lot more people, not just readers in the Washington area. So that, that's that been a change. And so, you know, what advice do you have for students who are looking to establish similar careers? I mean, I know me- media has changed so much. Are there certain courses? Are there certain types of extracurriculars and professional development they should be doing in order to stand out if they want positions like that? Yeah, I mean, I think if you want to go into media, you just have to be versatile. I really would emphasize that. And I think, you know, just like print media was disrupted by the internet, you know, in the first decade of the 2000s, 
I think broadcast media is being disrupted now because um, appointment television view- viewership is changing so quickly. Um, you know, a lot of people don't, especially younger people, don't watch local news anymore, especially like by 610 in the evening or, you know, they don't watch the morning news. They just look at their phones and they, that's what they do. <clears throat> so, um, Broadcast meteorology is going to see a shift as well. And so I think you you have to be um, effective at communicating to different people on different platforms and different formats. So um, you not only need to be able to communicate on camera and be a, str- good, a strong public speaker, but you need to be able to write, um, especially if you want to go into, uh, especially if you want to work at a news organization like the Washington Post, you have to be able to write. Um, and write well. So writing is really important. And so, you know, you've got to take humanities as serious as you do um, science um, when you're um, an undergraduate, I would say. Um, If you want to go into the communication side of weather, I mean, obviously, if you want to go into big data or programming or research, you know, writing is always going to be important, but not as essential as if you go into, um, you know, a, a, a media field. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, obviously being strong in visual presentation with graphics, um, and, and I, I would also say audience engagement is important. Um, and, um, just the ability to, um, interact with, um, with your, with your readers, your viewers, and just having an appetite to sort of sustain that engagement and wanting to have that engagement because people sort of have high demands now. If they ask you a question on social media, they expect you to respond. You can't you can't ignore it. So, um, so yeah, I would just say like again for media, you you just have to be versatility is key. But you you have to have skills across public speaking and um, as well as writing and um, all of all of it. And, um, you know, you just have to learn by doing and practicing. And I, I would say just get started as soon as you can. Get on different social media platforms. See who's effective at communicating on those platforms, what they do, how they built their audience. Um, you know, look at look at Facebook, look at Twitter, look at some of the new ones like Blue Sky and um, Threads, which are emerging with, you know, Twitter or X, as I guess it's now called. Um, <laughs> sort of... Um, uh, losing some popularity, so yeah, you want to you you want to look at you know people in the weather space who are effective and who have built large audiences and try to replicate what they're doing and uh, and just practice on your own. And if you want to be a strong writer, yeah, I mean you want to obviously take classes in journalism and um, you know maybe consider working for your um, college daily newspapers um, and get experience not just writing about weather but other topics because I think you're going to be more attractive to um, a news organization. If you can, if you can write about more than just one subject, I've, I've actually not had to do that. I've just always written about weather. But I think you know, just because you know, like, um, you, you, it, I, I think your path towards a career growth in any organization is um, is better the more skills you have. So you don't want to you don't want to be too um, uh, specialized. I guess I would say you limit you limit yourself a little bit. Yeah. And, and you, you know, the college, you know, newspaper is kind of a good idea because lots of these positions, when you're applying for jobs for writing, they want like a writing sample. So then you'll have something. So uh, yeah, for sure. And I, uh, you know, like I've had, um, obviously, you know, I've, you know, reviewed a lot of job applicants over time and 
Um, it's been surprising to me the number of people who don't have, they don't, they, they struggle with what writing sample to give you. They, they'll send you like a, a research paper from a class and it's kind of, that doesn't really show how you communicate to the public. So it's a little hard to evaluate that. I mean, so yeah, so any opportunity you have to write for the public, it doesn't have to be a newspaper, but you could write for a website. You could do so. Yeah, I mean, just any opportunity or platform to um, get some practice and experience writing for for lay people, I think, is is useful. Yeah, like a blog. Like a blog, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, and I, and I have to say, like, part of my job at EPA before I even started um, CapitalWeather.com was. Um, you know, science communication. I, I I wrote a lot of the material on EPA's um, global warming site. You know, back in the day. So like, I, I had some experience doing that, and I worked on my college paper. So worked on my high school paper. So um, I always have had a um, a passion for communicating and writing. So that's, um, I guess, you know, maybe I was destined destined to do what I'm doing in some ways. But um, Anyways, but yeah, I think, you know, get as much experience as you can um, communicating if you want to go into um, into weather communications. It's an exciting field. It's going to change a lot, too. And, you know, AI is going to change things. So um, it's going to be true across a lot of different fields. But I think it, that it will also hold true in journalism and weather as well. Well, Jason, we're so grateful for everything you've told us about your career. However, before you go, we always ask our guests one last fun question at the end of our show. So what is your favorite hobby? Okay, so um, you're ready. <laughs> that is well, yeah. So it, it, for me, that's a hard one to answer because I have a lot of hobbies, and I I wish I had more time. You know, this gets back to the burnout work life balance issue. So you know, if I'd had my government job, I may just had one job rather than you know doing what I've done. I would have had more time. But um, yeah, I mean, I like to do a lot of things. I like to play piano. I like to read. I like to play golf. I like to play tennis. Um, and um, I like to collect things, but I think the thing I, um, I'm most passionate about, which it's maybe it's strange, but a lot of people are into sports teams. So um, I'm a big University of Virginia um, football and basketball fan. You know, of course, that's my undergraduate alma mater. So um, I love following their sports teams. Um, their football team is not good. They're they're <laughs> they're 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 one in five. Um, they're they're much better when I was an undergraduate, but. Um, um, but, um, their basketball team is good and they have been good. Um, so that's good. Um, and, um, one of the fun things about it too, is that I've, um, indoctrinated my son who's 12 and he's also a, a big UVA football and basketball fan. So we go to games together, which is a, a great way to bond with him. So that's, that's one of the real fun things, um, about, uh, that particular hobby, which is so, um, yeah, and and you're not a fair weather, you know. You, you just like you're a fan, no matter what. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm not a ban- I'm not yeah, I'm not a bandwagon fan who only pulls for them <laughs> when they're doing well. Um, so, um, yeah, no, no, it's it, I, I just enjoy it. It's it's just something. It's just yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Jason, and sharing your work experiences with us. Absolutely, it's been a blast. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's our show for today. Please join us next time, rain or shine. Clear Skies Ahead, Conversations About Careers in Meteorology and Beyond is a podcast by the American Meteorological Society. Our show is edited by Johnny Lay. Technical direction is provided by Peter Killalay. Our theme music is composed and performed by Steve Savoy. And the show is hosted by Emma Collins and Kelly Savoy. You can learn more about the show online at www.amu.org 
etsoc.org forward slash clear skies. And you can contact us at skypodcast at ametsoc.org if you have any feedback or would like to become a future guest.